Pulp MX Network Production. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Show with Steve Mathis. Support the show by clicking the Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com before shopping. Follow the show on Twitter at Pulp Hockey. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. Welcome, everybody, to the Pulp Hockey Podcast. Uh, thank you for listening. Really appreciate it. Subscribe to it on iTunes. Give us a review while you're at it. Also, you can get the Pulp Hockey Podcast on uh, Stitcher as well as Stitcher app on your smartphone. Thanks, everybody. It's been going well. Thank you for the feedback on Twitter, at Pulp Hockey. You want to support the show? Go to uh, two under the number two UNDR dot com. The best men's underwear around. Uh, Ferraro twenty code saves you twenty percent on there. And uh, we thank two under for making it happen. With me on the line, uh, Calder Trophy finalist, all rookie team member, now color analyst on the St. Louis Blues games as well as uh, the NHL and NBC, and much much more. Former NHL goaltender Darren Pang. Panger, thank you for doing this. Hey, my pleasure. My pleasure. I, I've actually moved around quite a bit. I'm. I'm not. Uh, I hate to correct you. I'm oh. not, not doing anything on NBC, but oh. I, I made a switch over to uh, uh, to Rogers Sportsnet last year. Yeah. Uh, to do the Wednesday, a lot of the Wednesday night hockey, and uh, um, that actually, uh, with my schedule uh, and doing the Blues games, Wednesdays have always been the open night for me. And, yeah. Uh, that's why I was oh. uh, way back when and. Uh, the years at TSN as well. I was able to do Wednesdays, and uh, and so anyway, this sure. is my second year here, and I've been having a blast doing it and doing a little NHL network as well with them. And uh, um, I, I, whatever, whatever, uh, talking hockey is fun. So right. it's not well, really, a, doesn't I think seem like a real job. Whether it was on NBC or whether it's on Sportsnet now, you can tell that uh, you have a passion for it and you're still into it, uh, big time, even with the travel. So uh, yeah. Um, the, gotta love it. The switch from TSN to Sportsnet, how did that happen? Uh, and it's a little while ago now, but like, um, obviously there's been some guys jumping between the between the the reference broadcast with Sportsnet winning the NHL rights for seemingly the next hundred years. Some guys like uh, Ferraro, he 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 said no, I want to stay at TSN. I want to do the regional stuff. What your th- what your thoughts behind that and all and everything else on, on sort of well, the behind the scenes moves? Yeah, well, I was way different than you know than than you know Ray or Bob McKenzie or um, any of the guys that were you know full full time guys there mm-hmm. because I, I really was an independent contractor with them. So right. everything I did was just sort of a, a handshake with Mark Millier. I had a f- phenomenal relationship with Mark. He was a, he's a great man. Um, but at the end of it, uh, once they lost the rights, which really did surprise a lot of people, it caught a lot of people off guard. For sure, yeah. There, you know, the Wednesday nights were gone, mm-hmm. um, and that you know uh, again. It's been very unique that the St. Louis Blues are not a Wednesday night team. Um, and so uh, when I got a phone call from uh, Gord Cutler over at, uh, over at Rogers Sportsnet, mm-hmm. you know, he just basically said, would you, would you want to do the same things you were basically doing there? And, right. and we've got an idea for this Wednesday show, and it's Scotiabank Wednesday Night Hockey. It's a big show. It's a national Canadian show. And working with Nick Kiprios that I worked, I worked with Nick. Bob McKenzie and Nick and I worked the 2010 Olympics together. Oh, right, because it was both networks. Together. Yeah, it was yeah, both networks. Yeah, they, they huh? brought together at, C, at CTV, TSN, you know, they, they put mm-hmm. some packages together, and Darren Millard actually did some hosting as well, the majority done by James Duthie. But uh, we, uh, so anyway, so I've known, you know, known Kipper yeah. and known Doug McLean. And anyway, our, you know, our business is a small business, but, sure. um, 
it's um it's it's been a lot it's been really a lot of fun over there at rogers and um i've really enjoyed it and i know uh i know they've they're they're putting a lot into it and we're all having fun doing it and just trying to you know do what everybody else does which is really sell the great game of hockey i mean that's yeah. that's what we're supposed to do because we're partners with the players and partners with the league and mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah it's, been great. It's, it's been a big blow to TSN, obviously. But, you know, when you watch their games, and Rogers does a great job, don't get me wrong, and everything else. But I, I, TSN is still fully involved, still going on. Uh, they retained, you know, most of their talent. Um, and props to those guys for doing it. You know, like, it's got to be a little bit, of, they have the rights forever. And so, but I think they're still producing top notch broadcasts just like Rogers is. And, uh, you know, it's, it's working out okay, although I'm sure those guys are a bit bummed. But, um, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, it, uh, yeah, because you know, I mean, obviously, the, the everybody, uh, guys that are our friends, that when we were at TSN doing all the playoff games and having the rights to them, you know, the guys yeah. that were over at Sportsnet were in that same position, and mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, yeah, it's 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 nice, you know, it's nice being on whoever's got the whole package. It's certainly, you know, that's nice because the games are meaningful. But let's face it, the uh, uh, the TSN production broadcasters, I mean. It's been such an unbelievable ride. They've got such great credibility. They're great friends of mine, and mm-hmm. uh, um, and you know what? And they had a choice, and their choice, you know, each and every one of them had a choice to stay or go. Right. I'm sure, and they they chose to stay. They showed great commitment, and they still produce a, a great hockey show every night, no matter what show they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's uh, let's. Th- well, thank you for doing this, by the way. Ferraro, Ferraro no owes you one, so just just keep that in mind. Um, we'll give him some shots on the golf course. No, wait, a minute. I've got a bad knee now. I've got a knee replacement. He's going to have to give me shots on the golf course. He just now. got knee surgery for like the fourteenth time this summer. He didn't play much, so um, maybe he's, maybe his game's rusty. I don't know. Well, when he when he has my knee surgery, then he can tell me he had yeah, knee surgery. Yeah, he did not get a replacement one. It was just an MCL. So exactly. Um, all right, let's let's talk a little St. Louis. Um, they're on a roll. Central Division really tough this year, uh, no doubt about it. Um, I'm a Winnipeg born and raised guy. I live in Vegas now, but uh, you know I thought the Jets were turning it around a little bit. They've gone in some bit of a slump, but Chicago obviously will be there. St. Louis, Nashville, tough division, but in a way, Panger like this whole regular season for St. Louis. And again, this is just a view from the guy on the couch. So you feel free to correct me at any point. This whole regular season just feels like just a charade because we, we, we know what they can be. They're a great team. Um, we're just waiting for the playoffs. We just want to see if Hitch and, and can break this little drought. They've had some tough first round opponents the last few years, but do you agree with me? Is it kind of one of those things where we're just waiting to see? Well, I think every, you're not wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone's, you know, waiting to see what what type of team, you know, performs in the first round. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, last year was a real change in the direction of the team. Mm-hmm. It, it was not a big, heavy team like everybody portrayed it as. It was getting to become a real skilled team with Tarasenko and with Schwartz and Stashny came over on that four-year deal as a UFA and uh, Laterra came over from Finland, um, you know, and and that was the, the, the to me that that was the change into what's going on around the NHL to match up with the teams like the Chicago Blackhawks and what the Tampa Bay Lightning and now Montreal mm-hmm. and the New York Rangers are becoming. But so last year's really disappointing loss to Minnesota. I, I thought that was a good matchup for the Blues, right? Um, and I thought it'd be you know it went in six games. But I thought it'd be more competitive. I, I thought the Blues would play a a, a, a real a bigger man's game, so to speak. But mm-hmm. um, so you're, you're, you know, when when that ended, and I, I was actually there for the sixth game, 
and I saw, you know, the look of Ken Hitchcock's face and Doug Armstrong's face and all they put into it and their relationship together. They go back so many years. Mm-hmm. We all wondered, you know, is this the breakup? Is uh, right. the coaching staff gone? Um, and, you know, to their credit, they, they waited it out. Um, Doug Armstrong has said this many times before that you still have to get to the playoffs to be able to compete for the Stanley Cup. Right. So if you make a coaching change and it's not the right one and you miss the playoffs, well, then you're really in a lot of trouble. Like, that's not just a step backwards. That's yeah. 19 steps backwards. Yeah. So, so you know, Ken Hitchcock has proven that he is a great regular season coach. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a while since he won a Stanley Cup. I know he's anxious to get back to being that kind of coach again and match up with the other guys that have been winning lately. Um, so I'm as interested as you are to see how, how they are uh, when it comes to a, a playoff series and, and how, how they play and, and, and how the core group of players are when the game's on the line because that's what Chicago's best players, they rise to the occasion yep. when it's on the line. And we saw that with, Buff, with Boston excuse me, when they won the, the Stanley Cup and went to the final again. So, uh, you're, you know, so that's, that's going to be mm-hmm. the biggest test, as we, as we all well know. Were you surprised they brought Hitch back? They took a while to determine. It came back one-year deal. Were you surprised? Did you think it was going to be over? No, I think I was like everybody else. Once the season ended, I, I thought that uh, Doug Armstrong was going to make a change. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that, uh, you know, at that point, though, you, you were looking at the coaches. And to me, realistically, uh, my feeling anyway, Mike Babcock wasn't going to St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Not based on the dollar figure that the Buffalo Sabres were offering and, and that Toronto – was offering as well, but um, I thought he was going to sign in Buffalo. It looked like Guy Boucher was going to sign in Toronto. Uh, it looked early on like Todd McClellan was going to Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was probably only one other guy out there that could maybe bring the Blues to the next level that hadn't been fired and that yet or, and, and hasn't been, and that was Claude Julien. Mm-hmm. So all that being said, when it came back to it, you know, I, I I applaud Doug Armstrong. He he met with Army many times. He mm-hmm. wanted to see his energy level. He wanted to see if, you know, if he was also going to make some changes himself as a coach. Mm-hmm. Um, because it what what happened in the last four playoff rounds, quite frankly, wasn't good enough for anybody. So uh, that all that being said, yes, I was surprised. And then now looking at it, uh, it's turned out to be uh, a really strong move because the Blues, with all the injuries, again, they're one of the top uh, teams in the regular season right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and like I said, it's a tough division, too. Jesus, wow. Oh, it's brutal, isn't it? <laughs> oh, man, I'll tell you what. Um, it is. Uh, you can see the T.J. Oshie, Oshie for Troy Brower. Um, at the time, I don't know where I was when I read that, but I'm like, hmm. Well, Oshie's a better player, like skilled Going to get you more points, going to do all that. But you can see what the thought was behind that. Let's get bigger, let's get heavier. And Brower, I think, I mean, I didn't follow him that closely in Washington. I think he's been a bit of a surprise. I think that that trade was, was a good trade in the end. Well, that was one of the changes, too. I mm-hmm. think when, uh, if you're the general manager of a team and you're going to keep that coach, well, then you better give that coach, uh, uh, you know, uh, a, f- a few more a few more bullets, you mm-hmm. know, a few more guys that play the way that he you know, that he likes. And so, I mean, that trade was, you know, a great trade for both teams. I think Washington needed that. Mm-hmm. And if anybody doesn't know T.J. Oshie, uh, boy, what a, I got, I've got nothing but glowing things to say about T.J. Oshie. There's so many things that he does on the side. Uh, he's a very mature guy, mm-hmm. um, so likable, so energetic, so enthusiastic. I, I got all the, I got so much personality. I got all the time in the world for T.J. Oshie, but I, I think the change was good for both sides, 
and the trade was good for both sides. Because I think people forget that uh, along with Troy Brower came a draft pick. I believe it was a third-round pick, mm-hmm. and also a goalie that's a high-end prospect. He's a 23-year-old goalie named Phoenix Copley that's playing in the American Hockey League. He's six foot four. He's 200 pounds. He's a good goal. A really, really good goalie. Really impressed at training camp. So, mm-hmm. as you look at it down the line, I think you know that that's going to be a, a real big part of this package as well. Yeah, it's been it's been a good trade. Uh, Tarasenko, Vladimir Tarasenko, 16th overall in his draft year. And when you watch this guy, the highlights uh, every night. If they did the draft over, he might be number one. Um, this guy's phenomenal. He's he's what's his what's his best trait? What's been amazing about him? Watching him rise up through through the ranks, and now you know there's no doubt he's one of the top ten guys in the league. We'll go back to what what is, what is his best strength? It's uh, yeah. I I would say it's his desire to compete. Mm-hmm. His um, his passion for being a difference maker. Um, he doesn't. He doesn't float in and out of it. Mm-hmm. He's um, he's not a perimeter player. Um, and and uh, if Scott Stevens were still playing, I think <laughs> Scotty would want a piece of him as he crosses the blue line. <laughs> right. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, because he zips, he zips and zags, and you know, into the traffic areas with his head up, uh, looking for that one open. Just that one open sequence, that one second of of, of an opening to fire the puck. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, I've, you know, we sit there in practice and we watch the kid pass pucks and shoot pucks, and there's a distinct sound when the puck comes off his stick as compared to anybody else's stick. Yeah, he's it's got a remarkable. Shot. Yeah, he's yeah, got just a shot. remarkable. Right. Um, good kid, and he's yep. a big kid. He's 220 pounds. He's yeah. like he's not a not a little guy. Right. He can handle the wear and tear, and and he's you know he's not afraid of the. Uh, He's not afraid of the competition. He's not afraid of putting himself out there. He's not afraid of uh, battling for loose pucks. Which he breaks a lot of those Russian stereotypes, right? Like, I mean, I mean, I know we're in 2015 now, but and you know that's not necessarily true. But he's gritty a little bit. He, you know, he's not yeah. just all skill. No, that's what I mean. Yeah. Like, he's not yeah. he's not an outside perimeter guy right. or or you know a guy that's just looking for the. the the breakaway pass all the time and cheating like crazy. I mean, he's in it. I think he's in a. Um, in an organization where mm-hmm. they they demand that you, you play both sides of the puck, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't mean that he doesn't get away with a lot more things than other guys would. Mm-hmm. But but it's uh, it's all for good because he's he's a difference maker. He's a really good kid too. I mean, if like he's on he's on FaceTime on his phone after games talking to his grandpa in Russia. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. You know, his dad's still a coach. Actually, his dad's coaching in the KHL again, Andre, and he's doing really really well. He's mm-hmm. like a I think the third best team in the KHL. I was talking to Vladdy about it yesterday, and so he's really proud and happy that his dad's doing well. But he—it's his grandpa that he talks to a lot after the games, which is really cool. Does uh, getting back to Hitch? I mean, does he? Obviously, you know him. You're on the road with him. You, you know, I'm sure you're friends with him. Does he get the sense of urgency? Has what is he? Is he changed? Or is it, you know, there's all these stories from Hitch's coaching days of Dallas and him and Brett Hall and getting into it and, and you know not caring about goals and just defense. I don't get the sense that he's that same guy with the Blues. But has he changed a little bit? Does he acknowledge that there's some heat on him? Does he? Has he? You know, does he change his ways a little bit? Or has he a little bit? Do you think? Well, it's, it's always hard to tell. I mean, because I'm not in the room, but mm-hmm. I, I think on the outside, I think he fully understands mm-hmm. that. Uh, I mean, he's been he's been a great coach. He's he's uh, he's he's won as many games. I, I I don't know where he's at now. Top three, top four um, in the history of the game. He knows how to put a game plan together. He's very well prepared. He's a a great coach at breaking down stuff on video and mm-hmm. preparing his team for the next game. Um, 
there was a couple of times I know I've walked out of a, a meeting um, where the coaches actually meet with us before the game just to give us the, the latest rundown and 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 I felt like he's prepared his team like they're playing the 1955 Montreal Canadiens. There's an art to that. <laughs> right, not easy, right. you know. Not easy every day doing that and selling. So, but but again, going back to your original question because I'm not going to duck by that. Um, pressure's pressure, yeah. and he's a guy that talks an awful lot about his 1999 Stanley Cup win. Uh, he lost the next year. He, he almost went back to back in Cup wins. Sure, yeah. Um, had a great run in Philly, but this to me this is. I mean, this is as good of an opportunity to get back on it as anything. And, and uh, I know it's exhausting being a coach. I know that he had to get his energy level back to get back here. But And I also know that Ken Hitchcock wants to be in the winner's circle again. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I'm, I'm not going to answer for Hitch, but I would have to say in my conversations yeah. with him, he knows exactly uh, what this season's all about and what the bottom line is. Uh, and the bottom line isn't dropping out in the first round, that's for sure. As a Maple Leaf fan... Can we get the Steen trade? Can we get the Steen trade back? Is there any way we could redo that? I knew you were going there. Could you get Stamp? Could you? You could take Stampiak back. He's on Devils now. Ah, uh, what a He's actually playing pretty well. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, he is. He is. You yeah. know what? Stampiak's a, a good person too. Quality guy. But yeah, you're right. That trade. That trade was a great example of um, of a team, you know, not having the the patience to to allow a player to grow. And mm-hmm. it probably happens in Toronto more than any other city. Yeah, yeah. No, really, but, right? You're right. Yeah, but oh. uh, way back when, that trade, Carlo Koliakva, who was a really good defenseman for the Blues for a number of years. Sure, yeah, he was. And yeah. is still playing. And uh, and obviously, oh. uh, but Alexander Steen's one of the best two-way forwards in the NHL. Not, I'll, I'll put him up against anybody. Not one of Cliff's, Trader Cliff's, greater moments. Um, the uh, Scott Gomez, you know, I don't know much about him. Obviously, he was um, he was kind of a laughing stock in the media. He hadn't scored for a year, making a big making big contract. Uh, you know, hadn't done a whole lot. I I read the I don't know if you read the Players Tribune article he did on himself and sort of the trying times. Did you ever read that? I did read that. Yeah, yeah and I thought I just loved it. I thought it was great. It really showed an yeah. insight into the guy and made me want to cheer for him. Right. Yeah. And, and now, so he played a little bit last year, I think, for Florida. Uh, latched on to St. Louis, New Jersey, New Jersey, and yeah. uh, latched on to St. Louis. How's he been? Um, Eleven minutes of ice time, eight points, thirteen games. I can see him being a Hitchcock kind of guy, just willing to do anything. Right, like smart guy and can play both ways. And uh, what's he been like? Highly, you know what? He's highly intelligent. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, you can see it. I mean, not being a fast skater, not being the biggest guy, um, he could not score another goal in the NHL. And I it, honestly, it wouldn't surprise me. But he's going to put up a lot of. Po- he's going to put up points. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to get points nowadays in the NHL, I, I think fans have to be very aware. And when they're doing their fantasy teams and all that stuff, you, you know, you look at. W- what lines, what combinations get on the ice for the offensive zone faceoffs? Okay, mm-hmm. you know we we have a lot of a lot of advantages to offensive zone faceoffs. The other teams ice the puck; they can't change. They're tired. Vladdy Tarasenko jumps on the ice probably seventy-two percent of the time right. on offensive zone faceoffs. Right. Okay? You look around the league; that's where they get their candy. These players. Mm-hmm. So, but Scotty Gomez, because he's you know he's kind of on a third third line kind of guy. You know, he he he's and he's not he's not been great on the faceoff dot. He's not getting that kind of opportunity, so he's not going to put up a whole lot of points. But at five on five, I'm telling you, I've been just so impressed with the little plays that he makes. And he's taken in uh, young Robbie Fabry, who's a 19 year old first round draft pick. Mm-hmm. He's got great hockey sense, 
and he's been really he works with him all the time. The other day I met the I met the the, the rink quite early, quarter to ten, ten to ten. They're not on the ice till ten thirty, and who's on the ice but Scotty Gomez and Rob Fabry? They're they're moving pucks behind the net along the boards, taking pucks from the back end of the forehand, spinning around. You know, making the important plays. Those are important plays in the game today because there's so much pressure on you. You end up facing the boards a lot. And you end up having to use the boards, taking a puck off the boards. And there's Scotty Gomez on the ice with him. I so I I just I'll just reiterate what I've experienced. Mm-hmm. I couldn't be more impressed with with Scotty. I think he's been a an ultimate pro. I think he's got a lot to give, and just his influence on on a guy like Robbie Fabry as that, that story is a great example of what he's done. Yeah, I really started to cheer for him after I read that article. Like yeah. you said, you just hear the media stuff about, ah, he hasn't scored in a year, big contract. Yeah, that, you, know, it, I mean, you know, the, the media guy, and, and that's what frustrates me with the media. And, and I'm, a, I'm a media member, mm-hmm. and I probably frustrate people as well. But, but when you don't, when you're just reading something and you know, he, like he's not a goal scorer, and it's not his fault that he got signed to that unbelievable right. contract. <laughs> so, yeah. not really his fault. Yeah, he's I would sign a, that. I would sign that, as would you, as would 99% of the population. Right. Last right. time I looked, he was a Calder Trophy winner and a two time Stanley Cup winner. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't have that. I know I don't have that, so <laughs> I respect that. Calder Trophy finalist, still Panger. Yeah, yeah, that Joe Newendike guy <laughs> yeah. in his 50 goals. 50 goals, yeah. Um, I didn't stand a chance, let's be honest with you. Colton Pareko. Pareko? How did Pareko. I, Pareko. Yeah, you're, you're close. Third, yeah. third rounder. Uh, I didn't know anything about this guy uh, until this year. And where does he come from? What's he like? He's getting a ton of ice uh, for a rookie. He's been he's been a real surprise. Yeah, he's been, ter- I mean, he's been outstanding. Yeah. Um, I was actually just talking to uh, Dave Poulin, uh, mm-hmm. former Notre Dame uh, coach and former, uh, he was in management with the Toronto Maple Leafs. He and was. He uh, he said that uh, in that draft year that the, you know the scouts in Toronto they really liked him. He actually went through one draft year and then was picked up in the third round that that year. So I think a lot, a lot of teams were just wondering about this gangly, skinny guy mm-hmm. and whether he's going to fill out. Um, I guess the draft is all about potential. And boy, whoever saw him, which I know who it was, it was Marshall Davidson. Uh, John Davidson's brother was the Western scout for the St. Louis Blues, and he and a guy named Danny Janelle, they both really liked him. And uh, so they went to bat for him, and they, they wanted him, and they got him. He went from a 5'9 kid that couldn't play AAA hockey to a six foot five kid playing uh, D1 hockey at, uh, really? at Alaska Anchorage. Just... Now he's 6'6", 220 pounds, and he is the real deal. Wow, just sprouted up. <laughs> nice. Um, talking about their goalies, Jake Allen, um, Brian Elliott, Allen's getting more of the starts from what I see. Uh, there's always been that question in St. Louis about which guy's the number one. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things where they're kind of waiting on Jake Allen a little bit. But Brian Elliott, he's a battler. Like, he's been written off. But then the next thing you know, he's starting a bunch. Where do you, what's your take on the St. Louis Blues goalie situation? And uh, is this now more or less Jake Allen's team? I would think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think last year when they turned to Jake and he played uh, – he played uh, almost every playoff, uh, almost every minute of the six-game series. That yes, um, he was given the ball late last year. He took it over. He played four great games against Minnesota. Gave up one bad goal to Marco Scandella, uh, and then gave up another bad goal in, in Game Six. Uh, and then he was pulled. But but in 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 all of that, I thought he experienced a great deal, and I thought he was terrific. So he uh, comes to camp this year. It's another battle for number one. Brian Elliott's played terrific. Uh, Elsa, uh, uh, you know, I, I, what can you say about him? I think you mm-hmm. described him really well. He, he he never gives up. He never goes away. 
Um, he's always has a great attitude. He's not a powder. He's not a moper. Yeah. You know, so players don't have to worry about his attitude in the locker room. He's even when he's not the starting goalie, he prepares like he's the starting goalie. So he's a really good example and and a really good goalie. But I think I think the swagger that uh, that Jake has, um, I, I think um, maybe supersedes the uh, the 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 battle. I, I mm-hmm. think that's why Jake, I mean, you've seen Jake make some of these saves that are just utterly spectacular and in, in big moments in games and in the playoffs, isn't that what we all talk about are mm-hmm. these momentum grabbing saves. And um, I, I like the fact that he got the experience last year in the playoffs and whether it was, you know, there was some was good, some was bad, but if he didn't get it last year, then you were going to go into this year wondering, uh Oh, mm-hmm. is he going to be okay? But now he's got that experience. And I think that was really beneficial. I know one of them was hurt last year, but that was weird with Marty Brodeur. That was weird. They went for, and then when one got, guy got back, it was a three goalie system. Um, when you heard the St. Louis Blues got Marty Brodeur, I mean, what was your reaction? I had the time of my life. <laughs> Why's that? Uh, it's Marty Brodeur. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. You know, I, I, I knew Marty. You know, as a broadcaster and mm-hmm. being a former goalie, he always, sure. he would always take the time to you know, have a conversation, and he knew that I needed to, if it's something little in his game, he always made sure that he would uh, give me that time and respect. And mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm really a selfish guy, let's face it. When you're, <laughs> when you're broadcasting, you get a chance to be with Marty, and then right. I realized he was a really good golfer. He and I play a lot of golf, We, you know, so we belong to the <laughs> Jesus, same club banger. now in St. Louis. <laughs> I went and spent a night uh, at his place in Florida last year when we were all on the road. We played golf a few times. I mean, so to me, it was, it was, so, it was so great. But right. he, I, I have the ability to pick his brain every day. Yeah, and yeah. How good is that? Right. I and mean, these players, even, even a guy like Jake Allen, I mean, he grew up and he, he really idolized Marty Brodeur. And then Marty's sitting right beside him in the locker room, you know. He's getting information that he never in a million years thought he was going to get. And it, I think it was a little intimidating for both Brian and, and Jake, to be quite honest with you. Right. And, you know, but, but, but that's not because Marty makes it that way. That's just because Marty's Marty. And everybody loves the guy. So um, I'm glad. And he's an assistant GM, so he's around. We yeah. see him all the time. Yeah. And, uh, and so for me, it was really, I know it was kind of unique and weird for everybody else. And everybody else wanted to know, you know, how could he retire kind of as a blue? And then why didn't he stay yeah, there and all this I, stuff? I, I'm in that camp. I'm a little okay. like, come on. Yeah. But then, but then, you, then you saw him in St. Louis. And and he wasn't ready to pack it in, yep. and and I think it's hard when when he's basically told by an organization that that's all we got for you here, and he's like, I, I got a little, I get, a, I've got something left in me, right, right, and he just wanted to feel what was left in him, and when he did retire, he retired, but at least he he got to experience it with a different group of people, um, a different locker room, he had fun, yeah, and, yeah. and I think you know he smiled every day, and not that he didn't before, but right. You know, I, th- I think he will always be remembered as a devil. They're going to honor him in February. They're going to have a statue in front. Um, and maybe someday he's the general manager of the New Jersey Devils. And this will be a blip on the screen for him. But I can tell you firsthand, I know how much fun he's had uh, to the point where he bought a house in St. Louis. Yeah. You know, he joined a club, plays golf there with the boys, and, and works hard. He was in Finland for a week and a half with Robbie DeMaio and Tim Taylor. Mm-hmm. As part of the management staff, it's not like he's not working. He's he, yeah, yeah. he's working. He's going down, watching games, going over video, talking to players. He's 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 right in there. He wants to he wants to be uh, the next. You know, let's call it Steve Eiserman or sure. 
You know, Ronnie Francis is running Carolina. Look at all the great players that are running organizations now. Yeah, no, absolutely. Brendan Shanahan. Um, and he's a pre- you know he's got the president's he's got the lesser of the know, pressurized right? yeah. jobs. Do you I th- love Shanahan's job. That's the job everybody oh, wants, right? And then if something goes wrong, you just go, I don't know. I'll get another one of those guys. <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. John Davidson was my my idol as, as a broadcaster, sure, and a dear friend, and and I look at him, and I know there, I know it's stressful, so I'm not kidding myself. I know that there's a lot of stuff goes along with it, but yeah. But that's you know that's that's the job you're you're looking over the GM. <laughs> yeah, no, I know exactly. The, fan, the fans are aren't, aren't pointing at you when things go sideways. <laughs> um, do you think it went bad with him and Lou? And that's what sort like and you know again he joined the the St. Louis Blues in management capacity, and mm-hmm. and all that. I'm just so surprised that he wouldn't just join Lou. You know when Lou was at the Devils and just kind of you know, I don't know. So I think something went sideways there. Well, that, a lot of people do, but yeah. I, I I can tell you that. That uh, Lou and Marty speak on. I'm not oh, going to okay. say a daily basis, yeah, yeah. but they're they're uh, they're fine. Okay. Um, I think what what was put in front of Marty, um, really, Lou Lou is changing. Mm-hmm. I mean, Lou. We saw that Lou was giving it up to Ray Shiro. Yep. Um, Marty wanted to be given resp- responsibility, like genuine responsibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Marty wanted to be part of it. He wanted to be part of the fabric. And one thing he found with Army, with Doug Armstrong, is that he. Doug Armstrong included him in everything. He mm-hmm. included him in, like, he made him feel like, okay, this is what we do. This is how we're doing it, and, and you're going to learn. And uh, But you're you're fully in. You're not signing sweaters in between the second and third period. Yeah, yeah, it's not legend you're, night here. Here's yeah, yeah. your business right. card. It says assistant to the general manager. Is that good for you? You know what I mean? Yep. So I, I think that that... I think that in itself was one of the biggest reasons, enabling Marty to grow in this capacity and 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 not be the iconic figure of the New Jersey Devils that is like I said in signing not you know signing sweaters and doing the yeah. he just wants to do his stuff and learn the business right now. It's kind of like when you talk about Broder and, and remembering him as a Devil and all that. You're absolutely right. I don't your coworker Bernie Federko. I don't remember him as a Detroit Red Wing. You know, like you know, <laughs> I reminded him of of, of that the other oh, day. Oh, do you? Uh, okay. Um, you know, I think of him as a St. Louis Blue, you know, 14, 15 years or whatever it was. And so, yeah, I guess that's one of those situations. Um, stay, staying on goalies, and I'm sure you've gotten this and answered it on Sportsnet or, or on your broadcast uh, in St. Louis. They're under fire right now, Panger. Um, of course, there's a photo of you and Ben Bishop's gear uh, last year, two years ago, whatever. Uh, so you guys swap pads from when you wore what you wore, and he's 6'6", and you're, you're a shorter guy. But there's lots of talk now about the goalie equipment, cutting, getting some more goals in the game. I'm, for one, again, I'm a guy on the couch. I fully agree with trying to downsize this equipment, but I didn't play NHL hockey like you. Um, I do think we need some more goals. I do think some of these goalies look silly, although they've done some good jobs and some steps to help that along the way. But where are you at on this, Darren Pang? Where, where, what do you think? Well, as uh, as Carey Price said in an interview about a month ago, there will there will be and there are no more Darren Pangs. And, and, <laughs> Did he really say you know, that? He actually he, singled you out. <laughs> he actually said that, and I and I, I he's right. But there weren't going to be, and no offense to the shorter guy, there probably weren't going to be any guys my size anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'd, even when I played in the NHL, no GMs were looking at goalies my size. I happen to fall into a a unique situation where I had a goalie coach in Wayne Thomas that went to bat for me because mm-hmm. he saw me in the minors for three years. Right. So he knew that that I or he knew that I could play and went to bat for me. But no one else in the organization was giving me a chance to play. So I I know that. And I'm five foot four and a half. 
I didn't play in the NHL. My stats are skewed. They say I'm five five one fifty five, and I've never been one hundred fifty five pounds in my life, <laughs> and I'm not five foot five. So yeah, yeah. I played at five four and a half, one hundred thirty five pounds. You know, the goalies today. Were you 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 were were you same size as Bob Sove or was Sove taller? Than no, Sove was taller. Yeah, we were partners I, in Chicago. I remember little, him being little, small too. He was about five seven or five eight. Oh, okay, all right. All yeah, right. yeah. He's a, what a great man he was is. Um, okay. But the, the the whole goalie equipment. It can be traced back to a, you know, an era mm-hmm. of the early '90s when Francois Lair was the goalie coach in Montreal. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a smart, smart guy, and every time Patrick Waugh gave up a goal in one area, they put a pad to fill that area. They put <laughs> what they call roll bars, roll bars to fill, you know, between the legs. They mm-hmm. put roll bars on the outside of the pants. They put, you know, they added more equipment to the to the side and the arm pads the next thing you know the sweaters got bigger because no one was managing the sweaters now a 56 or a 58 you know uh goalie cut was was now a a 58 60 62 with the elbows so much larger now the goalies were figuring i can add even more padding inside because the sweater's not tight on me right um i mean we could start with that yeah Let's start with the cut. Of, let's start with the cut of the sweater, as number one. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's let's go a little bit further. And, and I, to me, this is this is quite easy. I went on the air on Roger Sports, and I put on Louis DeBrus suit, mm-hmm. and I just said, "Why should I be allowed to wear Louis DeBrus suit as a goalie?" Right. Why should I be? It doesn't yeah. fit me. Yeah. No. It's. I'm it's, a I'm a 38 short, and he's probably a 52 long, extra long. <laughs> right. But but yet we've allowed that to happen because there's only two sizes of goalie pants, large and extra large. So, like, I should it, – it's like a suit. To me, the pants should fit that person's rear end. And and just because my pants fit mm-hmm. me, uh, it, it doesn't hurt Ben Bishop. Ben Bishop gets to wear the pants that fit him. Right. But right. I can't wear his pants. Isn't that simple? Yeah. Yeah, Doesn't it really that make is. sense? Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the elbow protection, the shoulder pads. The shoulder pads that are approved by Kay Whitmore in the NHL, mm-hmm. they get a signature on them. They're approved. But that doesn't mean you can go into your locker room and put shoulder pads underneath your shoulder pads. Is that, what, is that what people are doing or no? It happens. Yeah, really? Okay. To, to make the shoulder pads look bigger. Yep, uh, yep. To wear elbow pads underneath your actual arm pad. pad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes your arm look bigger. I mean, so, you, so now you tighten down the sweater. And, and and you're not allowed to do that. Um, you know, you have cameras uh, cameras in there on the goalie, and he and he's and he's showing them live when he's getting changed, and he has to change in front there. You have to know what's going on underneath the equipment. Mm-hmm. The pants have to be smaller. The shoulder pads have to be rounded. The people say you've got to shrink the gloves. I I don't agree with that. Right. The blocker is way smaller than when I played, and it's to the point where it's it's dangerous on bigger guys. Really? Huh? Wow. Okay. I mean, yeah. Walker stays. Yep. The catching glove is smaller than when I played. Mm-hmm. Could you take the cheater off? Absolutely. Right. No question. Like, why would you have a cheater if we're trying to cut down on hockey equipment? Yeah. Why it's do you the cheater? And, and that's not protecting anything. It's just no. Yeah. Exactly. It's not. So there's areas there, but these pucks are coming very fast, and mm-hmm. the hands, to me, there's not much we can do but with the hands. Okay. Yeah. Um, the pads themselves. Um, I think there's a way to make them more rounded. Actually, Marty Brodeur and I had this conversation. Uh, why are the pads fitted so that as soon as they get along the ice, they're like a goalie stick? Yeah. You know, the, yep. the goalies don't use a goalie stick anymore. 
they use their pads as the goalie stick. Mm-hmm. So isn't there a way to make get a rounded part of the pad back again so that the puck might squeak underneath? You know, wouldn't that be beneficial? I think it would be beneficial. Or how about just making them too, like to the to the bottom of the pants? They just go over top now, so far. And yeah, you, you so dro- far. Yeah, and you drop, yeah. and it's just yeah, like you said, it's a goalie stick. So. Yeah, there's there is no there is no five hole when you drop down. But I I'm surprised. I, I, was, I was brought. This was an area that I was brought to my attention. Mitch Mitch Kersner is now the executive producer at, at Sportsnet. He was a producer, a game producer at TSN for a number of years. Mm-hmm. One of their top guys, and Mitch is. Mitch, Mitch and Ray Ferraro went at it all the time. They drove each other nuts. Um, Mitch, Mitch says to me, we want more scoring. Why wouldn't we make the paddle of the goalie stick more narrow? At first I said, well, that's a stupid idea. Mm-hmm. And now I say, huh, that's an interesting idea. Yeah. Like why, why have the blade of the stick that fat and the, and the paddle, is the fat part of the stick, that fat? Mm-hmm. Why not cut two inches off each side and, and just see. Sure. Yeah, what does it matter, right? Yeah, exactly. What does it matter? Yeah, it doesn't. It you won't know? affect one thing. One, it won't affect it one way or another. Yeah. So. Um, I'm surprised, Panga. You're a goaltender, member of the goaltender's union, and, and you're, you're, yeah, you're, you're with us. Yeah, and, but, <laughs> but you know what? I mean, I just went, I, I just previously saw two games between the Chicago Blackhawks and the St. Louis Blues. There were 17 goals scored. I don't know what nets they were using. They <laughs> seemed like they were the same size net. Right, right. Nobody complained about nobody complained about Corey Crawford's equipment or Jake Allen's equipment. They didn't complain about that one bit. Yeah. You know, in yep. the three on three, the goalie save percentage is eighty three percent in three on three hockey. Yeah. No one's talking about the goal equipment. Yeah. No. Exactly. Okay. You're so right. let's yep. let's. Uh, so I I know I'm I'm defending a little bit that way, but I agree that the equipment has to be shrunk. I don't agree with bigger nets. I you know I do agree with less structure in the game, but you're not going to get that. Right. I do agree that the players' sticks are longer than they've ever been, so there's not a whole lot of room. It's stick on puck all the time. How many mm-hmm. pucks get deflected into the stands? Oh yeah. Yeah. How many empty net goals have forwards have that they haven't scored this year? Are the goalies that good that they're out of position and dive back and get the tip of their blade on it? Why aren't the goal scorers under more heat for finishing? Yeah. Yeah, no, you're all good practice. points. Yeah, practice. Coaches yeah. got to like coaches practice systems. I, I watch them. Neutral zone systems, breakouts, mm-hmm. neutral zone faceoff, defending. Why? Why aren't they practicing more on finishing? Yeah, and, and you have seen the advent a little bit of these skills coaches coming in, and I don't think I don't think all the players do it at all, you know. But there like are Patrick Kane's got a skills coach. Yeah, he, Daryl really... Belfry's his name. He's good. Um, Adam Oates is. <laughs> Is a skills coach to many NHL players. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. Uh, yeah, I heard he was doing that a little bit. He's a consulting you know? or whatever, right? Yeah. So I mean, you got you know you got guys that you know they're getting some help, but you know all the areas the, the goalies are going to figure it out. You want to make the nets two inches bigger? They're going to figure it out. Sure. <laughs> um, and and I would, yeah, maybe maybe and maybe Kay needs some help too. You know, maybe that by the league, maybe you know add a few of these guys and and start working with the equipment a little more aggressively because it does yeah. seem like obviously everything comes in the NHL office K Whitmore signs it off but like you said who knows it's a lot for K to do yeah yeah exactly and he's a great man and he's put his heart and soul into this right so it's not his fault and it also it's also not his fault because the NHLPA has to approve it right right so yeah. everything's got to go through the NHLPA so yeah but you got a competition committee right now and Corey Schneider's in favor of it and that's positive mm mm-hmm. mhm um, you know, uh, Ryan Miller's mad at our buddy Ferraro. You see that? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Ray's whole but, thing was he wears the same pants as, as Price, and he's not even close to being the same size. <laughs> well, I mean, the one thing about about uh, 
about Ryan and we, we had him in St. Louis for a little bit. I got to know him. I, I really, I enjoy like heck talking hockey with this guy. I think mm-hmm. he's brilliant. Yeah. But you know, he's not, I think the point that Ray's making and even Ray had added 10 or 15 pounds to him. He's, he's probably 158 pounds. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it's, you know, it is a situation where it's, it's easy to look at, at, at Ryan and go, well, man, you're, if you're 158, I know he's 6'3", mm-hmm. so he is tall, mm-hmm. but he looks wide. Yeah. So it's, it's easy to look at it. And, but all, all he's doing, all Ryan Miller's doing is whatever goalie before him has done. Sure, yeah. He's taking advantage of, of it and making himself a little bit bigger. I mean, Jaguar winning the Calder Trophy in 2003 goes down in history in the dead puck era as one of the, whoa. Yeah. You or know, Con Smythe, you mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, Con Smythe, yeah, sorry. Right. Yeah, the Con Smythe. So yeah. I'm get, now I'm getting corrected on your show. <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't have do that. Oh. Oh, <laughs> I, need, I need correcting all the time. Um, my, my brain's going fast, well, I was trying to, too slow. I was trying to think, Calder, wait a minute, huh? J.S. Yeah. Um, Listen to Darren Pang uh, on the uh, Pulp Hockey Podcast. Ferraro 20 saves you 20% at 2under.com, the number 2, U-N-D-R. Darren Pang on the show. And uh, support the show via Amazon. Go to the pulphockey.com. Click on the Amazon banner. Make a purchase. We get a small slice of that, and we can uh, afford to have guys like Darren Pang on the show um, who may or may not get a, a coffee certificate at the end of this, depending on how th- your performance. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's talk a little bit about you. Um, you... You were in Phoenix. You were uh, the color commentary for Phoenix. That's where uh, I watched you for a number of years. And um, I'm interested in how does that work for your guy like yourself? Like you said, you're an independent contractor, which I am too in my media field, which is uh, motorcycle racing. Independent contractor, I kind of, you know, I can shop my services around. How did you end up at Phoenix? And how did you leave Phoenix? Does St. Louis broadcast crew come and recruit you? Are you a free agent? Or how does that work? I mean, I don't know. I'm wondering. Yeah. Well, I I uh, I'd spent 13 years at ESPN. Mm-hmm. I was living in Chicago. Uh, I got a phone call on July 1. Um, as surprised as anybody that um, somebody wanted ESPN, to sign, somebody wanted to sign you for their team on July 1. No, <laughs> ESPN wasn't going to get the rights to the NHL anymore. Mm-hmm. So I had two more years left on my contract, and and I then I didn't have anything because there was no job because they didn't have the rights to the NHL. Right. So. I really, at that point, I'm sitting there going, what am I going to do? And uh, Mike Barnett um, gave me a phone call with Cliff Fletcher. Mm-hmm. And they're out in Phoenix. They're all in a conference room. And uh, just asked the question, would you consider coming out here? We're going to change our, our our whole outlook. We're going to change our coach. And 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 it ended up being Wayne right. uh, be, being the coach. and. So I talked to my, my family. I had negotiated with Phoenix years and years before that about going out there and, and, and being their color commentator. So mm-hmm. doing a lot of NHL games on ESPN, I had I had a real good vision of even where I wanted to live and the whole area, and I was enthralled by this. I'm an avid golfer. I thought this was going to be great. <laughs> yeah. And and it was. So I went out there, and I, I signed a three-year contract, and then I signed another three-year contract. Um, and after my uh, first year of my second three-year deal, it went into the team went into bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. Well, when it goes into bankruptcy, no one knows what the heck's going to happen. No one knows. We had no TV deal. Uh, your contracts aren't guaranteed. Um, so basically, I was kind of um, swinging in the wind a little bit. Sure. I talked to Wayne about it, and Wayne, at that point, um, he said that he looked like he wasn't going to be returning. Uh, with the uncertainty there, mm-hmm. and I'm like, "Oh, this is wow! This is yeah. great. The band just broke up here." Yeah. Um, 
And I had an option in my deal on July 1 that if there was not 70 games on TV, that I could actually get out of my deal. Well, oh, nice they, move they didn't by, have a TV contract. Yeah, nice so, move by your agent. That's a nice move. Yeah. Yeah, and it well, and it also yeah. There, it's funny that there was no TV contract. So <laughs> yeah, I'm sitting there going, so not only will I could I not get paid and and uh, whatever. Yeah. I mean, I, there's no there's nothing there. Well, at that point, John Davidson in St. Louis had they'd come into town late in the season. I played golf with JD and. We're playing golf, and you know he's asked me how much I like it, and I'm like, well, I love it here. I mean, yeah, got a putting green in my backyard, and <laughs> life's good. Right. And he said, uh, and my son was a all-state golfer there, and he was gonna, you know, he's close to getting a college scholarship, and so uh, he just said, well, would you ever move? I said, well, I don't know what's going on here, and at that point they were in bankruptcy, and uh, mm-hmm. or the rumors were working, and so. As it turns out, this was Jerry. Happened, this was Jerry Moy's days, right, Jerry? That was Jerry yeah. Moy's days. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly right. Who promised Wayne that he'd never put the team in bankruptcy in one minute, and then <laughs> through as the t- Gary Batman and, yeah. and Daly were flying in, all of a sudden they landed, and the team was in bankruptcy. So yeah. it was a disaster of all disasters, and no one had an answer. Right. And uh, so I had to make a decision, and uh, I was very fortunate that uh, that Doug, you know, that uh, you know Doug Armstrong was up and coming there with St. Louis, but yeah. You know, JD was a guy I trusted. To I trusted. I, the TV market was good. I was promised that you know I wasn't taking anybody's job, right? Because um, I didn't want to go in there moving somebody. And I talked to Bernie Federico before I took the job, and I called him and I said, "Are you okay with everything here?" And because uh, they were going to move Bernie between the benches, and mm-hmm. and he said he said he was okay with it. And I said, "If you're okay with it, then that's great. I'm I'm coming on board." And that's how it worked out. So. It's been it's been unbelievable. I just love the people of St. Louis, the city, mm-hmm. their love for sports, the respect they give people. Our TV ratings for the hockey are through the roof, and so you know that when you do a broadcast, and if you, yeah, you know, you say something wrong, you, people yeah. are listening, and they're good hockey fans. So I've I've just had a heck of a time with John Kelly and and, the, and my group here with with Bernie and everybody. I go to St. Louis every year for a uh, motorcycle race that's in the uh, in the dome there, and uh, uh, I caught a Blues. Blues Oilers game on a Friday night, and I'd never been there before. And uh, yeah, I was impressed with the atmosphere. It was good. Yeah. People were into it. It was cool. You know, it's a little, it's a little old school in an, in an era where nothing feels like old school. Well, it's it's got an old school feel to it. Yeah, the arena, the the, the it's a pitch. It's a steep pitch. Mm-hmm. I think, anyways, compared to a lot of the modern ones. So you're you're yeah. sitting like right on top, right on top of the players, right on top of the rink, which is kind of the old school, you know. Yeah. Um. So okay, so that that's how that works. Uh, getting back to Phoenix. Obviously, uh, everyone knows in the, in, that you're a, you're an FOG. You're a friend of Gretzky. We all know that. A fog. <laughs> a fog. You're a fog. But so, but taking taking your you know your your buddiness with Wayne out of it. Why didn't it work coaching with him? What what did he do? You know what didn't work? What, I mean, most of us thought that hey, he doesn't have a coaching experience, but hey, he's Wayne Gretzky. He knows the game. Uh, yeah. It didn't go well. But uh, what what's your thoughts on that whole that whole era right there? Well, number one, I, I thought—I mean, I thought a lot of it went well, considering the players that were coming through. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he had—he uh, he was just shy of a 500 record. I'm not sure how many games, but it, mm-hmm. it wasn't a large amount. He got a lot out of a lot of players. Um, I think the, with the, with the way the game changed after the lockout, you remember—you know—all of a sudden there's no red line. Mm-hmm. Well, he didn't play in the NHL without a red line. Um, there's young players in speed and slowing down the game and curling up was 
kind of gone by. So his first players that he he had to coach and deal with, and he knew them well, were Peter Nedved, mm-hmm. Mike Ricci, Brett Hull. That's right, Hull was there. That's right. Um, Jeremy Roenick. Uh-huh. Um, all guys with you know, substantial personalities, guys that were at the end of their careers that still thought they could play. Mm-hmm. And, and the game had changed them. And I, I think early on, that, that was kind of unsettling for Wayne. I thought that was really hard for Wayne to coach Brett Hull. Right. You know, to coach, like we, we talked to Brett Hull. Brett Hull was so frustrated. And I remember sitting in the back of the plane with Brett, and he said, I should be out golfing. And I said, you should be out golfing. Like, <laughs> and, and he said, well, uh, you know, he was mad. I mean, yeah. he was, but, he, but he couldn't keep up with the play. Right. And he needed somebody to tell him that. And he and Wayne were, were best friends, but this was, you know, this, yeah, this yeah. was going to come between the two of them. And I sat back in the plane. I had a number of nice cold beverages with him. Mm-hmm. And I, I like to think that I had a small impact in him retiring for the betterment of everything. Cause yeah, he retired yeah. four days later. And I think that, uh, that I think anyway, going back to Wayne, I think that yeah. was just, just difficult to deal with that on a daily basis. Um, I think he was a really phenomenal coach with young players. You, you look at that record just at the all-star break. Um, now I, I the years are passing me by, but mm-hmm. he, he had the team in about fifth place in the West mm-hmm. and he had some terrific young players, fast game, he had a he had a, a real great system two one two kind of a press up system and he was I mean it was fun to watch mm-hmm. um, but I think the lows got low and the highs got high yeah he, he, he's a really unbelievable guy to be around he's a very emotional guy he wears his I mean we we yeah. had to stop showing him on the on the bench when he was giving it to the referees because it yeah, was there were times he freaked out oh yeah. he had such yeah. passion I right. mean he and he and nothing he didn't miss anything so. Like afterwards, like he, his his vision as a player was extraordinary. His mm-hmm. vision, he could see something happen in the game that I got, I didn't see. I had no idea why he was angry at something. Really, huh? Yeah. Because he saw something that I didn't see. Wow, that's cool. I'd ask yeah. him afterwards, he'd go over the video of the game, and he goes, mm-hmm. I just watched the game. I've got the video. It's right here. I know what happened. <laughs> like, he, he was he was really, really unique that way. I mean, but you remember that, you know, obviously it was a negative scandal. It was a, it was a high-publicity the uh, gambling no yeah super bowl yeah yeah scandal right. and, and you know Rick Tockett was his main guy on the bench and you know they they, they were a group they were just forming they were just gelling next thing you know you know that's going on and you know Wayne's got to deal with that Wayne has to deal with so much more than just hockey he's, yeah he's i mean come on he's the most iconic figure in our sport and in 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 almost any sport when he walks around it's it's like the beatles i mean it was <laughs> It was crazy how many, like, the fans that waited at hotel rooms at 2, 3 in the morning when we got in off a flight. Mm-hmm. Like, and they want Wayne's autograph. And I think the tough part for the players was that, you know, they want Wayne's autograph. <laughs> yeah, really. No, I, you know? I I was a half-season ticket to the Ducks when I lived in Anaheim, and I traded out one of my tickets just to go see Phoenix to see Wayne coach. I'm like, I yeah. just want to see him behind the bench. Like, yeah. you know, and then afterwards, um, um, my wife was like, can we get his autograph? I'm like, I don't think so, but we can go out to the buses to try to get her an autograph, you know? But, um, yeah, so that was the power he had where, you know, people are just like, I want to see the coach. He's so. remarkable. He Honestly, he's, he's a remarkable man. I, I got to tell you, I, I sent him a text the other day because I'm doing something on Redeem Verbata. Mm-hmm. And when, when Verbata was playing for Wayne in Phoenix, Wayne made him feel like he was Yari Curry. And <laughs> Verbata has told many people that yeah, yeah. Wayne was his favorite coach. Because Wayne gave him confidence. He, right. And 
And so I sent Wayne a text about it, and he get, just gets right back and you know wants to talk about hockey and right. happy to talk about th- those days. Did, did, like, would you like to get, come back and fix that record? I was going to sure ask you. Do you think? Did. Yeah. Do you think we ever would see him again? Not as a coach. No. No. No, no I don't. I think I, I wish that he would have come back and be and, and would have come back and been a president of a team. Um, I thought he was going to come back and be president of Toronto. Um, then I thought that maybe it was Washington. Uh, so there was a number of situations where yeah. I thought that he was going to be, you know, running the franchises. And if it doesn't work, you know, if it doesn't, he, he's not going to do something just to do something. Right. I mean, he's he's a guy that di- dives right in there and digs in. I, but I, I will say this, that the, the four years that I had with Wayne Gretzky, I cherish forever. They were phenomenal. And I'm, I don't mind when someone says you're a friend of Gretzky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I don't mind no. one bit. Well, I think that's phenomenal. <laughs> and I don't want to turn this into, yeah, Darren Pang podcast talking about Wayne Gretzky. But um, I have some friends that run kind of in this circle a little bit up there, at least, uh, you know, younger people that hung out with his daughter a little bit. And they're in Thousand Oaks area and they're into motorcycle racing, what I cover. And they don't know anything about hockey, but they go, they have kids that are on teams that his kids played with years ago. And again, they know nothing about hockey. They're like, Man, that guy's really nice. Was he good? He was really good, right? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, he's got no ego. And I'm like, no. That, the guy seems like the nicest guy in the world. And these guys, again, they're they're SoCal guys. They know that he was a good hockey player, but you know that's about it. And I, they just couldn't go on about how he was just a normal dude and a nice guy. I'm like, yeah, he seems like it, anyways. You know, <laughs> but he's a, so he's a great man. He's just a great man. He's a uh... That's what, that's what was fun about it, mm-hmm. because I was always a broadcaster. I mean, I played against Wayne. He actually owned my junior team in Belleville, so I got to meet him then. Um, he practiced with us while I was an 18-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, then we get to the NHL, and I remember making a save in Edmonton one night, and, he, and a skirmish started to my left, and I made a glove save on Wayne. He comes right into the crease, pats me on the pads, and he says, great save, Panger. <laughs> I'm like... Oh my God! Yeah, like yeah. what a moment that was for me. Sure, and uh, you know, and then as years go on, you know, there's just that, you know, obviously I've good friends that played with him in Canada Cups and yeah, and all this stuff. So you end up in the, every once in a while, you end up with him, and then on ESPN, you're doing shows with him or whatever. And but then then it, then it becomes real. You're really with him all the time. You're on the plane. You're going for dinner. You're right. playing golf. Th- those are fun moments. That's when you really get to see a guy and see what he's like and how he treats people and. I would say this: He's a better. I'm mean, honestly, he's a better person than he was a player, and that says this a lot. Says a lot. We know how great he was. Um, I run into this uh, a little bit in my job. I cover the sport of motorcycle racing, and I have to be hard on some riders and teams for different things. And then I'm you at have the to be ra- a critical media guy. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, some of these guys make a lot of money, and they're not performing, and they're getting yep. tired. And you write these things, but I have to go and walk around these pits and talk to these racers and teams. And I'll be honest, some of them don't like me for things that I've, you know, kind of yep. said. And look, you seem, uh, I've watched you over a number of number of years. You seem like the most ultra positive kind of guy, but at the same time, I'm sure you take pride in your job and you want to call it like you see it, whether it's in Phoenix or St. Louis or the stuff on Sportsnet. How do you deal with sometimes uh, being critical of some people and, and, and having them come up to you and maybe express the, their dislike of what you said uh, on TV? How do, how do you deal with that? An excellent question. I've, I've, uh, I've been in a lot of situations. Um, early on, I said something about Ty Domi in my early ESPN days. Mm-hmm. I walked into Maple Leaf Gardens in the locker room like I always do. And I got a stick in the back of my spine, and there was Ty Domi. <laughs> right. 
wanted to know why I said what I said. Yeah. Which, you know, I know I know what I said, and I just didn't think anybody heard it. And uh, so I sat down with him, and mm-hmm. it was when he got an eight-game suspension. I thought he should get 14. Um, I didn't call him Ty Domi. I called him something else, and I, I, I regret it. It was a stupid thing. Yep. Anyway, wh- how, how I've dealt with it after that, is that moment or other moments, number one, I keep it to hockey. I think that's number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the personal side of things, that's not, my, that's not my job. My job is to say whether he made a good pass or a bad pass or why he's not playing well or mm-hmm. what he's got to do better. But over the years, I've, you know, I've, I've had to say some things to players. Um, and then I walk into a locker room, and I, I, I just like to think that I'm a guy that if I'm going to say something, I'm going to be around. I'm not going to go sure. hide in the stands. or yeah. Um, I'm not going to not confront it. Uh, recently, I had a game in which I I was critical of uh, Chris Stewart, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I I said that uh, there's too many passengers on this team, and it starts with this guy. Wow, uh, he's, yeah. he's a better player than that. Mm-hmm. I said he's a better player than that. I've seen it. I saw him score 28 goals, um, but right now he's you know just an ineffective player, not even finishing his checks, not doing anything. So I knew when I said that that. You know that this could grow into something. Yep. After the game, I I uh, confronted him in the hotel locker in the hotel room, uh, not room lobby. Yep. And uh, I said, Stewie, I just want to tell you that I said something on the air tonight, and uh, before you hear it from anybody else, I want to make sure you hear it from me. And I give him a lot of credit, and I love Stewie. He says, "Whatever you said was right." Wow. However oh. you said it, I yeah. deserved it, and. It's up to me. I've got to change this. It's. I know what I'm not doing. Yeah, he knows he's struggling. Right. And that that, that was it. And he said it, and I was I I was like, wow, what a. <laughs> I wasn't really wasn't sure what his answer was going to be. Yeah, yeah. I really love the answer he gave. Yeah. I've relayed that to a lot of people. And I, but I, I again, I, I just I think that your aunts, your uncles, your family, your brother, people are always watching. Oh yeah. And and I think we get loose. With some of the commentary, because we think we're being funny, and then there's it's impactful. And I I know over my years, I've been at this for over 20 years. Mm-hmm. I know there's some guys out there and some families out there that probably think I'm a little smart-ass, you know, guy. Right. It's not the way I am though, and I can be critical. I like to be critical in a positive manner, if that makes any sense. I like to, yeah. you know, point out good things and then make a point of a bad thing if that needs to be had. You can't go about this business sitting on the fence. You can't go about this business saying everything's rosy all the time because it's not. And sometimes you have to make decisions and sometimes you're going to hurt somebody's feelings. But I try to think that I put a lot of thought into what I'm going to say and how I'm going to say it mm-hmm. and put myself in. If I'm in the general manager, would I have that player? Is it a yes or no? You know, uh, and then I try to think that way and break through it. I don't like some of the things that we have to talk about, to be honest with you. Right. I'm sure you feel the same way, but that's the way it is. Yeah, no, you got to do it. You know what? I, I, I like that approach. Uh, how many times, and I, this happens to me all the time, hey, my wife, girlfriend, mom, uh, best friend said you said this on my, one of my shows or mm-hmm. in print, and it's not what I said. It's not what I meant. But, you know, by the time a family member gets it, they twist it around, and I think that's a good approach you did right there. That's, that's pretty nice. I might have to use that, borrow that, and just go ahead, try to break it off ahead of time, you know? So, um <laughs> Props to uh, Stu- Stuart too for for acknowledging that. You know, um, it's one of those one of those things. I watched the Columbus game the other night, and uh, you were saying that uh, uh, there was a hit along the boards. I think it was uh, was it Bacchus? I think it was Bacchus. 
and you were saying, yeah, that that should be that should be more. That's that's a dangerous play, you know. And, and I like that. Like, you, you know, you're employed by the Blues, you're a hometown broadcaster, but you know, you're calling it like you see it. I think that that says something about you. So yeah, I I, I think a flare, a, pop, a player facing the boards and getting hit from behind and kissing the glass, right? You know, I I I you know, I know the game goes fast, but I think when you see a guy and and you know, and I'm the first one, I'll I'll sit down with David Backus and you know, we'll look at it and. Or or talk about it, and, mm-hmm. you know. I know that the thing about the thing about this game is we're getting we're getting dangerous. You know, yeah. we're, we're yes, we marvel at how fast and how big they are. Well, the rink's still two hundred by eighty five. Mm-hmm. You know, Connor McDavid going Mach ten down the left side, shooting the puck almost while on the goal line, and then you know I know he lost his footing and maybe slightly pushed, but the boards aren't moving and they're not soft. Yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think we we just have to have still respect for the players that make a living, and at the same time be competitive and be on edge. But I I just think that some of them just doesn't pass the eye test. You know, you just sure. look once, and if you feel it right away, you're generally going to be right right away. Yeah. And hedging, I think people know that you're not telling what you're what's on your mind. Well, Darren Pang, uh, thank you for uh, for coming on the Pulp Hockey Podcast. I really appreciate it. Uh, some thoughtful, honest uh, comments, and uh, I, I enjoyed having you on. And uh, yeah, keep it keep up the good work, St. Louis. Can't wait to see what they do in the playoffs this year. And uh, maybe we can do another one. I can touch on uh, Mike Keenan goaltending under Mike Keenan because uh, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I lost. I had hair before Mike Keenan. I added up the, your second year in the league, and uh, it was an eighty game schedule, but somehow there was ninety four appearances by four or five goalies over over the season so i wanted to yeah i think you know. i counted i think i got pulled 13 times that year <laughs> god he loved to do that <laughs> yeah it, i mean it honestly it ruined my my goals against average and save percentage wasn't good as it as it as it stands now yeah but that didn't help out one bit no no keenan was good for that well no. hey thank you for taking the time for doing this darren i know uh, i know you're a busy guy and you're in demand and everything else and you don't know me but uh, i thank the ferraro ferraro for setting this up and uh, again thank you for doing the pop hockey podcast my pleasure raise a good man and i love being around him and uh, it's, it was my pleasure being on your show thanks darren. keep up the great work thank you